0: you will turn in your Bibles, the 11th chapter, the book of 2 Corinthians, as we continue our study through the Word. So you remember that Paul was writing through, talking about the collection that he is getting ready to bring there to Corinth, making sure that the administration of that was Taken care of, and from that topic, he moved on now into the the details, the concern of his actual visit to Corinth. You will remember that good news had come back that the leadership now was fully supporting Paul, and and they were ready to move forwards. But there was still this oppositional group of Judaizers that were entrenched in the church and causing this difficulty, and so. Paul, you know, was talking to them last time about, you know, needing to deal with this group and that if the church, the leadership of the church didn't deal with this group, then when Paul got there that he would be dealing with them. You will remember that he started to address some of the issues now that this group was laying against Paul. And, you know, Paul talked about the fact that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're spiritual, even to the terror down of the strongholds of the enemy and and so Paul talking about the the spiritual nature of this conflict uh, here, they talked about the fact that you know paul's letters are weighty, but you know his, his appearance is anything you know but being you know one of these uh, super apostles and and so Paul you know talked about the fact do you just judge things from the outside? The problem was that the Corinthians were very immature spiritually, and there was no strong spiritual leadership there within the church and so these Judaizers had come in and, and now were seeking influence and Paul talked about building on another man's foundation and how, you know, Paul is the one that had established that work. He talked about the sphere of influence and, and that these people were coming in and building in another man's sphere of influence. Paul talked about his own sphere of influence being those churches that he had planted, which certainly included the Corinthians. As we move into this 11th chapter we're going to see that Paul is going to you know continue to to equip the leaders there with the ability to to weigh out and to measure the, the different ministries, Paul's ministry versus the the ministry of uh, these false leaders, and and so we see the heart of Paul really come through here in this eleventh chapter. He begins here in in verse one, and it says, "Oh that you would bear with me in a little folly!" And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy for i have betrothed you to one husband that i may present you as a chaste uh, virgin so paul here now talks about his motivation the motivation that he has he he sees the corinthian church you know as the bride of christ and you know he uses a marriage (laughs) metaphor here remember that in this day that fathers would make the arrangements for the marriages. And so uh, here he sees the Corinthian church is, is his daughter. And he sees that Christ is her husband, and, and so her betrothed husband. And so you know, he has this paternal interest in making sure you know, that his daughter is you know, fit for the husband that he has now betrothed her to. He he says also, you know, that I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, continuing on with this marriage metaphor, you know, Paul kind of shifts it a little tiny bit from, you know, the father of the bride now moves to the friend of the bride. At a Jewish wedding, there were two people that were called the the friends of the bridegroom and one represented the bridegroom and the other represented uh, the bride and they had a lot of duties they kind of acted as you know uh, behind the scenes uh, at liaisons and, and and so but one of their particular responsibilities was the guaranteeing of the chastity of the bride. And so, you know, here is what, you know, Paul has in mind is is that it is his responsibility to keep the bride chaste for the bridegroom. And they were starting now to to go off the rails. They were starting to slide away from, you know, the sound doctrine that he had established with them. He says in verse 3, "...but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." And so, you know, here we see that Paul now compares the church to Eve, and you will remember how, you know, Eve was there in the garden, and the serpent came to her and started to have conversation with her, and and so we see here that, you know, the serpent enticed her by his cunning, and so, you know. Paul here is seeing that, you know, Eve's problem was that she listened to the enemy. She listened to the serpent. And as the serpent was allowed to continue to converse with her, he now brought her into this state of confusion. And, you know, Paul is seeing these false teachers that are there, you know, and the question is, why are you listening to them? Why are you having conversation, you know, with them? Just like Eve, where Eve should have just cut off the conversation, and here the, the, the church leader should have cut off the conversation, you know, that their minds uh, wouldn't become, you know, corrupted. He says that, you know, my fear is, is that you are going to move away from the simplicity that is in Christ, the simplicity, you know, of the gospel, and how complicated we can make it. It's amazing how we can add to the simplicity. The Bible just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and and you will be saved. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe should not perish but have everlasting life. It makes salvation so simple. Just simply believing Jesus Christ. Uh, But then, you know, they started to add to that. You know, no, it's not just believing in Christ, but you've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. And and so they started to add all of these things. And and Paul now, you know, was fearful that they would turn away from the simple truth and start to add the law uh, onto the simplicity of our salvation. He says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or. If you receive a different spirit with which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. This is, you know, Paul's concern. And, and so, you know, if one who comes, you know, that's, a, that's an apostle. The, these troublemakers are the exact opposite of, our, of apostles. Apostles are ones that are sent. Here he says, if one comes and so comes and preaches, you know, another in Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Clear teachings that Jesus Christ is God, that he is the creator, that he came into the world and the world was made by him and the world did not know him. And throughout the New Testament, we see this assertion that Jesus is God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he declared that relationship that he had, one with the Father. Now, you know, here Paul says that if someone comes and preaches another Jesus. And so we have that today. We have the Jehovah's Witnesses that come along and they preach A different Jesus. Uh, The Jesus that they preach says that Jesus was really Michael the archangel. That he is not God. And the Jesus that they preach is a created being. So he's less than God. So he is another Jesus. This is exactly what Paul was talking about. That if a group comes along and now they start preaching another Jesus. We see the Mormons. Are another group that have come along and they are preaching a different t- in Jesus. They talk about Jesus dying for their sins and believing in Jesus when you talk to Mormons, but the Jesus that the Mormons believe in is the brother of Lucifer that Jesus and Lucifer are actually brothers, and that you know they were presented to God the Father, their plans of redemption, and God the Father accepted the plan that Jesus gave, and that made his brother Lucifer mad, and, and so this is what they teach. He was determined that he's going to upset the plan, and so there's this rivalry, this jealousy, this uh, sibling thing. This is not the Jesus of the of the new testament this is another jesus and so we see that there is nothing in the new testament at all that would indicate that jesus was michael the archangel or that jesus was the brother of lucifer so there have been other Jesuses that have been preached to, to people but not the jesus of the new testament not the jesus of the bible if they deny the virgin birth of jesus then they are talking about some other Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. If they do not believe that he performed miracles, they have a different Jesus in mind. He's the one who died for the sins of the world, which They deny. They deny that he was raised from the dead bodily. They deny that he is the God-man. And so here we see that this was the very thing that Paul is concerned about, that you've been taught and you've been instructed, but there are these people that have now come in And now they're starting to preach. He's worried, you know, a different Jesus completely than the Jesus that that he had preached. And so the solidness of the theology and how important it is, he says in verse 5, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge." But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. And so, you know, Paul says that, you know, the the attack upon him is is look look at how poor his oratory skills are. And so, you know, Paul had his eye problems and all. And and so remember that in that day that there were these professionals, you know, according to the standards of Greek rhetoric, you know, Paul is untrained. He didn't come out of one of these, you know, schools. And and so uh, the ability to speak in a polished, sophisticated, entertaining way was popular and so you know paul wasn't this entertainer that now you know would come and and speak in these dramatic fashions and uh, and all and so you know but you know, Paul says I may I may be untrained and you know in that eloquence he says but I'm not untrained in in my knowledge you know of the scriptures and and so he says but you know who I am you know he keeps appealing back to the fact that you know the these Judaizers aren't talking about somebody that that the Corinthians don't know they know Paul Paul spent those years with them developing and building of them up and training them and all and so you know Paul says you know you know you know my heart you know who I am you know we've been thoroughly manifested among you it's not like Paul you know went through and was there for two weeks visited and then moved on he thoroughly invested himself in the Corinthian church they thoroughly knew him he says did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge. And so, you know, in the culture of that day, if a public speaker didn't take money for his speaking, he was often, you know, disregarded as a poor speaker. In, In other words, if you didn't charge for your teaching, then, you know, it was because your teaching isn't worth charging for. And so, you know, this is the attack that Paul, you know, is making, you know, they're making on Paul, that, you know, that Paul, when he was in Corinth, would not take any money from the church whatsoever. Paul would make sure that he now was self-sustained so that as he's doing the work that the work is pure and that no one could say that he's in it for money. And so they turned that around and they made it an attack against Paul and they said, you know why Paul doesn't charge for money? <laughs> he can't. Look at the way he speaks. He's terrible. He can't make a living you know, at this. That's why he doesn't do that, but you're listening to someone that can't even make a living, you know, doing what he is doing. And so they used that to discredit, you know, Paul. And so, you know, he says, you know, did I, in my humility, in my not charging you, did I commit sin? He says in verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. You know, Paul says, you know, I robbed other churches. Here he refers to the fact that, you know, he received support uh, from the other churches that he founded as he would then move on to the next. He would come in as a missionary that was being supported by the other churches. And, And then when he was in Corinth and he ran out of support money, what Paul did, rather than take money from the Corinthians or you know, disclose that, Paul just went to work as a tent maker. And there in Corinth, he ended up meeting Priscilla and Aquila, and, and he worked with them for a season. And, and then some more support money came in, and so then Paul was able to, uh, to go back to you know, just ministering full time. Paul thanks the Philippians. When, when Paul writes to the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, He is in prison in Rome. He is waiting to come before Nero. And he writes them, you know, and he says, you know, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities." And so we see that the saints there in Philippi remember that Macedonia was the northern section remember that they were more impoverished up there and and so it was the impoverished churches that were you know supporting Paul while he is down in Corinth which is the you know the rich area and and so twice when Paul was in Thessalonica the Philippians sent some support they sent support to him when he was in, in Corinth and, and that Uh, helped him. And now when Paul is in prison in Rome, the Philippians again send him support that he can be comfortable while he is in prison there uh, in uh, Rome. And so, you know, Paul, you know, he he kind of tongue in cheek says, I robbed other churches and other others were supporting me for the work that was uh, going on. Did I do you wrong by not charging you, but Uh, He says, you know, in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. The fact that Paul was willing to go to work, the fact that Paul's uh, hands were calloused did not indicate that he was not an outstanding uh, apostle. He says, as the truth of Christ is in me, No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? He says, God knows. We see that once again, back in this Greek world, the teachers were supposed to make money out of their teaching. And and so it was said that there was never an age in which a man could talk and make so much money. Augustus, the Roman emperor, paid uh, various flaccus, who was a, a, a rhetoric, an annual salary of over $300,000 just to uh, now speak forth. Every town was entitled to grant exemptions uh, from all civic burdens and taxes to a certain number of teachers of rhetoric and literature. and uh, and so, you know, Paul's independence was something that the Corinthians couldn't understand. They they couldn't understand why Paul wasn't mm, taking money. And these false apostles, they were glad to take the money. And so, you know, they were saying, you know, yes, uh, support us. We're, we're worth supporting Paul. Look at him. He's not worth supporting. That's why, you know, Paul doesn't receive a- any of the money. But, you know, Paul is is wounded by the fact that these false teachers would come in and then be fleecing the church there and. And so he says in verse 12, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. You know, and so these these wolves are ripping the people off and, and Paul says, you know, if they're really sincere, you know, Paul is saying, let them stop taking money let them be as uh, I am. And he knew that if you cut the support from these guys, that these guys would depart uh, in a minute because they weren't there because they loved the Corinthians. They were there for themselves. He says in verse 13, for such uh, are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of christ and so you know you can't transform yourself uh, into a true apostle of jesus it's a calling from god and he says in verse 14 and no wonder for satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light and so you know satan masquerades as an angel of light and they were masquerading as you know as servants of righteousness And therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. And so, you know, Paul says, cut off their money and you will see, you know, their heart. It's interesting here that, you know, these ministers as Satan, you know, masquerades uh, as an angel of light. Satan's Desire, you know, is to take and make good look evil, and to make evil look good. And so he he pretends to be this, you know, enlightenment and to bring illumination. But what he brings is darkness and confusion. And so we see the exact same thing. He says, you know, the the, the ministers. Uh, Uh, here, you know, transform themselves uh, into ministers of righteousness. And so we see that there is a hierarchy underneath Satan uh, and in his dominion. And and so they reflect uh, also his nature. uh, And so this masquerading that takes place. He says in verse 16, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of of boasting. And so... You know, and here we see that the the Corinthians were not measuring things spiritually; they were carnal, and so they were looking at things, you know, with a carnality, with a wisdom of the world. Here, and you know, and so Paul is kind of basically saying here is, you know, he's trying to show them how to discern spiritually. But now, you know, he's basically saying that. You know, if you need to look at things from a from a, a, a world's point of view, then let's examine it even from a world's point of view. In other words, you know, they they are saying, let's look at the resumes. You know, and, and, and Paul now is saying, really, you want to you want to look at resumes? That's what this has come down to. He says, okay, if that's what it's going to take to convince you he says this is ridiculous you know but let's let's put the resumes down if that's you know if that's what you need and so we kind of see you know that Paul here is you know is saying you know seeing that you many seeing that many boast verse 18 according to the flesh Okay, I also will boast. That's, that's the resume. He says, for you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. And so, you know, here you see a little bit of sarcasm, a little bit of holy sarcasm, you know, that uh, comes out of Paul here. He says, for you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. Here we see that you know Paul is is looking at the way that that they are being mistreated by these false teachers. It's like when you love somebody and you know you notice that there is a bruise on their face and you say, "Did did he hit you?" And it's like, "Well, you know what? He was really mad. I upset him. He's sorry about it. He says that he's never gonna do it again." and you know, it doesn't hurt very much. It's certainly not as bad as it, you know, as it looks, and, and it's really no big deal. And, and just the, the feelings that rise up in your chest when you see each of those defenses for what is absolutely indefensible, the abuse that is being justified, being covered over, Maybe even there isn't full awareness of of just how deep this really is. The Corinthians are they're not understanding how they're being taken advantage of, how they are being abused, how the infiltration of this false doctrine, how dangerous it is to the souls, to the lives of the people, and you know. And, and Paul is saying, you know, you're putting up with it. You you. You are being manipulated here. You're being brought into bondage. You're trying to be, they're trying to pull you back in underneath the law. They're taking from you. They're prideful. They're exalting themselves. They're striking you on the face, and you're just tolerating all of it. He says, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever, anyone is bold. I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Paul says we never came in and used force. We never manipulated. We never mm, took from you. We never were authoritarian mm, with you. He says, and, and and they come in and forcibly insert themselves, and and you allow that. So Paul talks about you know the meekness versus the weakness. It wasn't weakness. Do you need us to treat you like that? Is that is that what you need for us to use that kind of? Uh, Of force. He says, you know, I I speak foolishly here, but I will be bold. It's like it's gotten to the point where if Paul does not, you know, reveal, he's willing now to just, you know, unmask them. In Proverbs 26, 5, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. In other words, there is a time to confront a fool in their folly, lest if no one says anything, they they think that they're correct and they walk away in that stature. And so, you know, Paul here says, okay, you know, if we need to, you know, kind of take out these resumes and go through this exercise, you know, he says, "I'm, uh, I'm willing to. And the reason that I'm willing to is because, you know, I love you enough to do this. So he says, okay, let's start. Verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. And so their claim is they claim to be Hebrews. And so, you know, when it says that they claim to be Hebrews, what they're talking about is that they speak Hebrew and so you'll remember that the world had been you know uh, taken by the Greeks and the Greek language was the common language that was now spoken throughout the world it was the business world's language and <clears throat> and there were many Jews that now didn't speak Hebrew and only spoke the, the Greek like the rest of the world did. And so, you know, and uh, the Jews that spoke Hebrew looked down upon those that uh, that didn't, that you've kind of walked away from, you know, our language. And, and so they were kind of, you know, looked down upon. He says, you know, do they speak Hebrew? He says, guess what? You know, so do I. Are they an Israelite? You know, people were saying, well, he was not even born in Israel. You know, Paul was from, you know Tarsus and Cilicia, uh, and so you know. But Paul would answer them and say, "You know, I, 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 are you saying that I'm not? You know, an Israelite? I moved to Israel. I moved to Jerusalem. I sat underneath the feet of Gamaliel, who was the most influential and uh, respected rabbi that there was in the uh, in the nation." He says, "You know." Uh, are they of the seed of Abraham? And so, you know, there again, the genealogies and the direct descendants of, uh, of Abraham. And Paul says, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, I have a pure descent, as pure as a, any man. And so, you know, they had absolutely no claim to superiority. From a human viewpoint, Paul's credentials are absolutely impeccable. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? He says, You know, I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. And so, you know, it's interesting as Paul kind of now, you know, is going over his resume, you know, look at what he is pointing to. His achievements focus not on what you would consider, you know, his, his high points. He doesn't start listing all the churches that he founds. you know. He, he, he measures really the, you know, his sufferings and his weaknesses. The, the, these are the things that he is setting forth from the Jews five times. I received 40 stripes minus one. That's the synagogue's punishment. This is Paul being beaten by the the Jews in the course of ministering To fellow Jews, and so uh, the punishment uh, there for scourging was found in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five. It's forty stripes, and uh, and then we see that that number must not be exceeded, and and so if the if you exceeded it, the scourger himself was then subject to being scourged, and and so in the Mishnah they give all of the details. The Mishnah is the oral tradition. That they had around the scriptures that was then written down, uh, and codified. And so, the Mishnah talks about, you know, <clears throat> binding the hands to a pillar on each side, and and, and all of the details, and and, and many times. You know the a person would die just from the scourging and and it was given them clemency that you know if you were the one that was scourging the the individual and the person dies that you're not charged with his death and so you know here we see that you know paul five times was beaten with these 40 stripes and Uh, And he says, three times I was beaten with rods. That was the Roman punishment, was the uh, rods. Uh, And so, you know, three times that happened to Paul. And it should have never even happened to Paul once because, you know, underneath Roman law, it was a crime to scourge a Roman citizen But, you know, when the mob was violent and the magistrates were weak, uh, we see that, you know, uh, Paul suffered uh, underneath this. In verse 26, in journeys often, perils of water. You know, Paul's ministry was, uh, was an itinerant ministry, and so he was constantly moving around. But travel back then was hard, and it was dangerous and perilous. He says, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, and in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. and uh, you know Earlier Paul had referred to you know, being persecuted at the point of death, facing beatings and imprisonment and riots. But here, his list of sufferings is far more complete. He says in verse 28, "...besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." The burden that he carried for the flocks and for the believers and and for the churches and all the different churches and, and the cares and concern. I think of Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, who was a pastor to the pastors and and how he cared so much about the flocks and the churches and the pastors. He says, who is weak and and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? That inner burning that paul felt you know at the knowledge that the flock is being led astray by these false mm, teachers he says if i may boast if i must boast i will boast in the things which concern my infirmity the god and father of our lord jesus christ who is blessed forever knows that i am not lying paul's boast was that his life was like that of christ that Jesus was a man of sorrows and familiar with um, sufferings, and that was the the path that Paul walked. He ends this chapter talking about one of his greatest humiliations that he suffered in in his life, and it was when he was in the city of Damascus. And when he was in the city of Damascus and he was uh, preaching the gospel there, there was a, a, a... an arrest warrant that was put out for Paul you know kind of an APB and you know Damascus was a walled city so it only had you know certain gates that you could get out of the city and those gates were all being watched specifically looking for Paul so Paul couldn't you know just walk out of the city to you know get out of the city and and so he says in verse 32 in Damascus the governor, under Aretas the king, was guarding the city of the Damasians with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. You know, and Paul was humiliated that he had to sit in a basket and be lowered out a window to get away there in Damascus, and in these, you know, these were the. The sufferings, the cost uh, to Paul of, you know, of preaching the the gospel. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for just a minute back to verse thirteen, back to where Paul talks about, you know, these false apostles. Uh, he says that they transform themselves. Uh, into apostles of Christ, that, that they are transforming themselves. It says that Satan transforms himself. And, and therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves. And so, you know, we see this, you know, this transformation that is done, you know, in and of yourself. And, you know, that, that is what is behind every single self-help book. If you go into the bookstore you'll see the section on self help books and you know and all of them will tell you how to change your life and and always it's the same thing it is that you're going to change the exterior of your life and then as you start to change your actions it's going to work through to the inside of you into changing your character that change to actions become habits and then habits over time work into your character and then you know into your identity and so it's an outward in change it's done by you know self will and discipline and actionable items and so these are the the steps that will change your life and so you know this is the way that a person transforms uh, themselves but as a christian we don't transform ourselves the bible is not a self-help book you don't take the bible pick it up and look at you know read what a christian is supposed to look like and then now, through your self-will and through your determination, you you start to become a godly Christian. You start to, you know, through self-discipline and willpower, you start to enact these uh, attributes that we find in, in the Bible. You see, the, the Word of God tells us and teaches us that when you got saved, when I got saved, that God placed His Holy Spirit inside of you. And that it is the Holy Spirit's power inside of you that is changing you. And that you are changed from the inside. And when you're changed on the out, inside, that that will start to be manifest on the outside. That will start to leak out into your life, this, this changed life. And, and so it is a, a work and a transformative power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I remember the first time that I experienced it. I was a relatively new mm, Christian, and, and and you know, I mean, I knew according to the Word of God that your speech is supposed to be edifying and that you're not supposed to cuss. But you know, I was raised East Coast, and I know you might find this hard to believe. <laughs> But you know, prior to being saved, my language was very East Coasty, <laughs> very colorful. It was, you know, and I knew, you know, when I'm saved, I'm not supposed to be talking like this. But this was just the way that I had talked my whole, you know, entire life. And you know, but uh, I know I'm not supposed to talk like this. And I remember the day that it happened. I was on the golf course. I had a four-inch putt, you know, and uh, there was a little tiny bit of a slope, and you know, and so I just, you know, lined up, tapped in, and it, hit there, and it popped right out. And I let out a very colorful explanation of how I felt about missing that, you know, putt at that moment, you know, and uh, and and when I did that, it offended my own ears. For the first time in my life, it it offended me and it was like and from that moment on i god just sanctified you know my my speech it wasn't that i now decided that i'm going to you know count the number of times I cuss and try and get it down and manage it and move forward. It was just, the Lord just stepped in. He just changed, He made it offensive to, to myself. And, then, and that began the process, you know, of, uh, of sanctification in, in my life. And so, you know, as, as we continue to walk with the Lord, as we continue to come into his presence, and it's really, you know, the coming into his presence is really what I have found to be the, you know, the piece and the part of a transformed life. You know, we're the clay and God is the potter. I think that we all understand that, right? And so God's the one now that's going to mold you and shape you into this vessel of righteousness. And so, you know, he's the, the potter and we're, you know, and we're the clay. But here's the analogy that I have on that that just takes it one step further. You have this master potter, and he's got this clay and he's got it on the pot, and the pot is spinning, and he's ready to get going, and he starts. But then the clay jumps up off of the potter's wheel and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, "Are you coming back you know And then you come back, you give him ten more minutes, and then boom, off you run away again, you know, and then every week you come back for 10 minutes a week and And and, and so, you know, how much work can the master potter do if you won't just sit in his presence? If you won't just give him access and time to do the work in your life? In the glorious presence of, of God, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And it is that coming into his presence... It's just sitting in the Word of God and just allowing the Word of God to just marinate on you, to just enjoy the peace and the presence and the holiness of God as you are invited by the Creator God of the universe to spend time in His presence. And it is that time in His presence that, that sanctification that work happens Christianity is not about you becoming a more sanctified saint in your own strength in his presence is the fullness of joy is the fullness of joy you know what makes heaven heaven is <laughs> his presence that that's what makes heaven heaven entering into his glory Glorious presence, and now through Christ we have access to come into His presence. There's a big difference between you know studying the Word of God and coming into His presence through the Word of God. You know studying the Word of God, and Paul, you know, wrote, you know, journeyed to Jerusalem. It's like, well, how far is Damascus to it? You pull out the maps, and it's, you know, it's about this many hours, and it's all of this, and you're and you're studying the information of the Word of God versus sitting in His presence, in the holiness of God's presence. God says that, you know, in in my word, this is where I'll meet with you. That you don't need to go to the temple anymore, that right here in the Word of God, this is where I will meet with you. And so when we come and we meet, and we fellowship and we commune, and we sit there and we allow the work of the Spirit to be going on. You know, This is one of the ways that God does the amazing work of sanctifying us. Spending time with Him in His presence. And so, God is the one that's changing you. God is the one that is transforming you. God is the one that is the agent and the power that is in your life. And so as we continue to seek after Him, may we enter into His presence with thanksgiving in our heart, entering into his presence in prayer, entering into you know, his presence uh, in uh, worship. And, and we see the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, these are all those attributes that uh, that God is molding and shaping in our lives to reflect his character for his glory And we experience the blessing uh, of a transformed life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We don't transform ourselves like the deceitful workers do, but we allow you access to our heart, to our life as we just seek more of you and less of us. God, continue to do that work in our heart and in our life. Bless us Lord.